This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of how we all might be a little different ends up showing us actually how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and on our program today, we are talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his legacy. The holiday is tomorrow, and there are many of Dr. King's lieutenants and their heirs who are today in the trenches doing the work that Dr. King challenged us to do. One of those people is Elizabeth Omalami. She is the leader of Hosea Helps, also known to many of us as Hosea Feed the Hungry and Homeless, but they do so much more than that. Her father, the late Reverend Hosea Williams, one of Dr. King's lieutenants, and Mrs. Omalami, Elizabeth, it's good to have you here. Thank you for coming in to talk about such an important subject, such important work. Thank you, Candice. It's good to be back here with you as well. So the work that uh, you guys are doing, you've got a lot going on right now, don't you? I mean, new building, um, raising money almost to be in there. You've been operating out of multiple locations. Many folks know you guys for the dinners, but as I said in the open, you all do so much more. Yes, I think it's really important what you said in your introduction, what we have in common. And I think if we could recognize what we have in common that um, our issues with each other would disappear. And what we find at Jose Feed the Hungry because, or Hosea Helps, we serve everybody from our Latino populations, from our Native American populations, Caucasian populations. We interact, of course, with African American population. And then there's not just the clients that we serve, but there's the big pocket of donors. And then there's the pocket of volunteers. So we, we serve people across all economic levels, all educational levels. And Jose Feed the Hungry is open, you know, every week, every day of the year. We even have events on Saturday and sometimes on Sunday. So I think we get a chance to see those things that we have in common that can bring us together on issues uh that really result a lot of the times from poverty. I I brought this quote from Martin Luther King, and he talked about the three evils of our society, racism, poverty, and, of course, the war. And he said, the second evil that I want to deal with is the evil of poverty, like a monstrous octopus that spreads its nagging prehensile tentacles into cities and hamlets and villages all over our nation. Some 40 million of our brothers and sisters are poverty-stricken, unable to gain the basic necessities of life. And so often we allow them to become invisible because our society is so affluent that we don't see the poor. Some of them are Italian-Americans, Mexican-Americans. Some of them are Indians. Some are Puerto Ricans. Some are Appalachian whites. The vast majority are Negroes, as we said in those days, in proportion to their size in the population. Now, there's nothing new about poverty. It's been with us for years and centuries. What is new at this point, though, is that we now have the resources, the skills, and the techniques to get rid of poverty. And the question is, whether our nation has the will. So in in our services at Jose Feed the Hungry, whether it's the Women's Job Skills Program, the hotel to housing program, because so many people are living in hotels, 
the daily food distribution program, the uh, Hosea on the move where we take our programs into these uh, apartment complexes and communities and stay there all day and serve 300 families. We know that poverty reigns supreme even today as the major issue that we fight. And so we save families and stabilize them and therefore stabilize the communities that they live in with these programs. And it, we, we can't do enough. It's exhausting. It's, it's frustrating. It's, uh, but, but when you see that one family back on their feet, you just got to live in that space and say that's what makes it all worthwhile. This is going to be your 50th year, the organization's 50th year of service, correct? That's correct. We're going into uh, this Thanksgiving will be the 50th year that Hosea Williams, our founder and a, a, a executive staff member of Martin Luther King, saw a man eating out of a garbage can on Auburn Avenue here in Atlanta and offered him a sandwich. And the man ate through the paper and the, sand, the, the wax paper to get to the food and said, I am going to feed the hungry. Now, that was 1970, and he had no idea what was going to happen after that, but it just it grew into uh, this mammoth organization that we have today that has fed people in the Philippines, in Haiti. We fed people in Kenya. We fed people in South Africa. Uh, but right here in Atlanta is our home base, and, and as I said before, it's not just food, but poverty creates so many issues, and you try to address as many of them as you can, but the ones that we can address, we have 51 community partners that we work with that can do the work that we can't do because we can only do so much. We only have 17 full-time staff members, and upon Hosea Williams' death in 2000, when my husband and I took over, it wasn't even a full-time, year-round, everyday open organization at that time. He was doing these things out of his pocket. <laughs> you know, he'd pay somebody's rent, or he'd get somebody out of jail, or he, he was a city councilman, a state legislator, as well as a DeKalb County commissioner. So we just kind of took that model and spread it out and looked at it and said, okay, this needs to be an institution, year-round uh, operating. It's hard to believe your dad's been gone for, gosh, almost 20 years because you know, I've been doing this long enough that, that I remember he would call me up and, and tell me that he needed some turkeys <laughs> at Thanksgiving, and he'd say, I need to get on the radio, Miss Condes. Yes. And if it's been almost 20 years, the organization doing this work for almost 50 years, so many new people in this community who don't know the story, don't know the history— uh, talk to us about about your dad more so than knowing that yes he served on the city council yes he served in the legislature yes he was one of Dr King's lieutenants but he was so much more yes I mean I think that his story you talk about these movies and we just got through the Golden Globe Awards and all these new independent filmmakers we hope that something can be done on Hosea Williams one day because he was the only civil rights leader that was a primary leader in three major movements, one of which was the Voting Rights Act, 
one of which was the Civil Rights Act and the other the March on Washington. And then you can add the Poor People's Campaign to that because he was the mayor of Resurrection City when they took that 14-day march from Meredith, Mississippi to Washington, D.C. Um, starting out in Savannah, Georgia, which is where Martin Luther King hired him from and stated that he was the man singly most responsible for integration in the southeast region. We used to be, you know, high-class Savannah, Georgia. We were, I mean, he was a chemist, the first black chemist hired by the United States government. My mom was uh, working as the head librarian at Savannah State College, and we were living it up, as I call my lace socks and patent leather shoes days. And one Sunday, we would go in his Cadillac every Sunday to get ice cream. We were Presbyterians. And so we had this sort of very formal church service. And one Sunday, we went into this ice cream parlor. And it must have been a new one, the one we hadn't been to before, because the man said, we don't serve niggas in here. Just very cavalierly spit it out, like, oh, why are you here? We don't serve you. And that put my father in some kind of shock. Physically, we stopped spinning on the ice cream uh, seats. Everything froze in time. And I just remember, you know, how you have memories and things go in slow motion. The sound looked like things were moving in slow motion. My father started crying first. He was a man that would cry before he was getting ready to tear up something. And grabbed us all up, quit his job at chemistry lab, made my mom told her she's leaving Savannah State and started a movement in Savannah, Georgia. And we went from white lace socks and patent leather shoes to cigarettes and I say Jack Daniel or whatever that was they were drinking in my house as they moved in there, people sleeping on the floor. And he started, invented what was called the night march because you couldn't march during the day because people were really afraid to lose their jobs. So during the day, the people, kids from high school would march after they got out of school, used direct action as a way to attack individual stores and businesses to shut them down and boycotts and speeches and started the night march. More dangerous, critical uh, to families because they never knew if their parents were coming back or not. But that's how Savannah, Georgia was changed. Things started opening up in Savannah. Integration came to public accommodations and other areas. The next thing I knew, Martin Luther King scooped him out of Savannah and brought him to Atlanta, where he became the guy that would go into small cities all across the South and preach, teach to the people. He'd get beat, him and his staff. Their blood would get shed. Then Martin Luther King would send in smooth talkers like Andy Young or C.T. Vivian, and he would tell the city leaders, look, you give us what we want, or we're going to let Jose and his people tear up this town. And that was his role, to get beat up over and over and over again. Where is that next generation of people advocating for change against racism, poverty, and war today? I think that they are hidden and frustrated and trying to find their way and think that they can find their way without connecting to the past. Now, I would say that Black Lives Matter and those young people that led that was a good example of what could happen. 
But the fact that they booed away John Lewis and they booed away Jesse Jackson and other leaders that came to show them the benefits of their strategies and tactics caused their movement to weaken and almost disappear. Because you can get in the street and you can make a lot of noise, and Lord knows with social media they can fill those streets today. But do you know that you have to have a manifesto of your demands? Do you know that you have to identify your specific request or your specific movement goal and who can if affect that goal? Is it the mayor? Is it the governor? Is it the legislature? And then you attack that specific change maker with your manifesto and you stay on that point until change is made. Do you have to go to the court like the NAACP? So I think that they need to go low, be a little more humble, and come to people while they're still alive because we're losing them every week, and say, okay, we didn't mean to boo you away from the march. Show us how to take the next step. And I think that that's really what is missing, that they're very vocal and they exist, but they don't understand the strategies for change, and that's what's missing. What's that old adage, those who don't know their history are destined to repeat it? And, and, and look, we're closer to repeating it than we know. Why do you say that? Well, I believe that even though you don't have segregation and you don't have um, lack of access to jobs, it's still there, but, you know, it's just done in a way that's strategic and um, in, within the law so that you find all the black people still live on this side of town. Well, it's not segregation, but very few can even afford to go you know, and live somewhere else. Or you find that women get paid less than men. Well, that's in a system. And that black women get paid, paid less than that. And then Latino people get paid less than that. So now we have systemic racism. And it's much harder to fight than something in your face like you can't sit at this lunch counter. So it takes a, a different strategy and it takes... Uh, that's why this census is so important and voting is so important because just because you're black doesn't mean you're going to be re- responsible once you are elected to the needs of the black and poor community. And the thing we have in common is the poverty is across all races. So when my dad made a guy who was governor named Lester Maddox who stood in front of his store with a baseball bat, his best friend, when Lester Maddox was governor, it was because Lester Maddox was passing laws that affected poor white people. And so it affected poor people across the board. So, yeah, he had to be his buddy at that time. And many laws that were passed, like laws that related to housing laws, fair housing laws, etc., were because of that partnership. So now... We have to sit down as fair-minded people, people about justice, and say, how do we fight systemic racism that's a part of the lifeblood of this country? How do you and your organization prioritize your mission? Because you are doing that work in the trenches, and yet, as you so eloquently state, there's a need for 
teaching the strategy and getting the folks to do um, what needs to be done to move the ball forward, to address some of the larger issues, such as the systemic racism? That is a great question. And, you know, I don't always have the answer because my staff is constantly trying to keep me from doing things. <laughs> you know, Miss O, please don't, you know, let that go. We need to be over here doing this. I mean, I spent three weeks working with one family that was homeless with four kids, put her in a hotel. She didn't have a job, got her employed. She didn't trying to get her on her feet. When they said I should have been over here, perhaps working with, you know, getting ready for Martin Luther King's celebration. It's very hard to to um, put in order what do you do first, second, third and fourth with all these things coming at you at the same time. But but I will say, I think we have found that economically, mental health and economics have to be first. Because even if you find someone and interview for a job, if the mental health piece is not in place, they will not get the job. They will not do the interview. That, that's priority as well as not just having a job, but a, a, a lot of people talk about affordable housing. Well, for $8 an hour, you know, and, and it just burns me inside when I realize these people are working at these restaurants for $2 an hour mm. and depending on tips to live. That should be illegal. So finding them, getting their mental health to the point where they can believe that they can do better and then working to find them a job that where they can have a livable wage is what we focus on with the Women's Job Skills Program. But then at the same time, you got to feed people that don't have money for food. They're not, children are not eating. So the food bank is critical. That runs itself. As long as we have churches and community groups to do food drives for us and keep our food pantry full, we can, that runs itself, so we don't have to spend so much attention on that right now. Um, fundraising for the organization dictates that a lot of times we do what companies want to fund. Mm -hmm. and you programs. Have to, programs. And they don't want to fund operating expenses. So then you end up with less staff members than you really need to do the work. So it's, it is not an easy thing, but I will say that we can do, we can make change. I've seen it happen. A regular woman like me, and people would look at my resume and they would say, you know, well, she doesn't have a PhD, she doesn't have this, she doesn't have that. It happened because I stuck with it and I had the heart and the desire and could hear my ancestors in the background going, we taught you to do this for a reason. You know, regular people can make change. And that's, that's the, really the message of today. You don't have to be somebody that has all these letters behind your name. You can be a regular person and make a change, make a difference. What plans does Hosea Helps have for the King Holiday this year? We are so excited that we will be presenting the first ever Hosea Freedom Medallion to Mr. John Evans of DeKalb County. I think that, especially in Atlanta, we have not honored our heroes. We've almost forget that Andy Young was even over there. 
Joe Lowry's on bed rest. C.T. Vivian just got out of the hospital. These people are not known by people in Atlanta. They don't know that these people hold within them the strategies for the future and the successes of the past. We will be at the Georgia World Congress Center. See what homelessness looks like head on. Hug somebody. You know, a lot of people are afraid of homeless people. They think they're going to catch something from them. How can you serve somebody that you won't even touch, that you're scared to hug, that you won't even sit at the table with? So come experience a, 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 an environment of service. You and your children will find out that it changed your life as a volunteer and you help change someone else's life. So we'll be at the Georgia World Congress Center here in Atlanta from 10 to 3, Martin Luther King Day. What's up with you guys in your new building? Yes, we raised a million seven to get a new headquarters because the building we had been in for 26 years was, you know, when when neighborhoods start gentrifying and and uh, nobody paid any attention to West End for 26 years. Next thing you know, the Beltline was coming through and it's near downtown and suddenly it's the best property to get. Well, our building was in the West End, and developers were walking up and down those streets with cash money, and they bought a lot of the property, and our building was one of them. And um, so we were actually kind of homeless as an organization. We ended up in three different locations, uh, still operating, though. It's a miracle that we never stopped operating all that time. That goes to the staff that we have that are there not just for a job, but for a cause. So we bought a building. It's the first building that we've ever really owned, and it has two acres of property with it. We hope to be moving in within 45 days in Black History Month. That would be great to have that happen in Black History Month. And then we will be stable physically and able to serve 30% more people than ever. And I think that we will grow sustainably from from that point people will know where we are because it's only five minutes from where we were for the last 26 years and we'll be able to grow um community gardens there we'll be able to to have um youth programs there with basketball court and playgrounds and we we will have a campus of service if there are folks who are listening in addition to Putting the pressure on local leaders to make sure that you guys get the dollars that you need. Individuals, corporations, businesses who believe in your work want to support you. What is the best thing for them to do? I got this great phone call from this guy that says he owns a cabinetry shop and he wants to put cabinets in the building. And and so it's things like that. If you own a company that makes the shelving that you put in warehouses, we need shelving. Uh, those are in-kind donations. But also uh, at our website, you can give financially. We need now, once we get in that building, it's empty. So we need IT support, computers, hardware, software. We need people who can come in and do landscaping on the property. We need people who can come in and, and help us with um, just schematic design. So there's something that everyone can do. Please contact us at our website, number 4hosea.org. Don't wait. Now is the time to act. Because those women that we're finding living in their cars, they don't want to wait. 
they they want help now. People that we find sleeping behind gas stations, they need help now. Children that are hungry in school and aren't doing well because they're not eating because one out of every five children in Atlanta experiences food insecurity. They need food now. So it's not a matter of waiting. You got it. Just give it. Elizabeth Omalami, CEO of Hosea Helps. It's always good to see you, Ms. O. Thank you, Gondis. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.